today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, so one of the biggest and more obvious differences is the lack of rain that they get out here in Montana. Um, Listeners, June 29th, getting closer to the end of the month, 2023. Tanner and Jennifer here to bring you headlines before another great conversation today. Jennifer, you're ready to rock and roll? I absolutely am. Let's get into it. Let's start with weather, as we usually do. We've got more severe thunderstorms expected to hit northern Missouri and southern Iowa, as well as southeastern Nebraska, according to the National Weather Service. The problem with this forecast is they're expected to be very severe. We're looking at wind gusts up to 60 miles an hour, half dollar size hail possible. The report is calling for damages to trees, roof, siding, and other structures. Heat advisories have been issued along the front of this storm as well for Missouri and Kansas, pushing south into Oklahoma. Indices are expected to reach 110 degrees in some of those areas. Right now, Oklahoma and Louisiana all are in excessive heat warnings to see forecasts potentially hitting records. And the worst part of this, Jennifer, is AccuWeather meteorologists are monitoring this high-powered, long-tracking storm with a fast-moving batch of thunderstorms, which could potentially produce the second derecho in three years for the state of Iowa. So derecho, a lot of us now know what that terminology is, but according to the path of this storm, you kind of look at it like a curve, Jennifer, you go across the northern portion of South Dakota, it catches the southwestern portion of Minnesota, and then almost takes a nosedive through the state of Iowa into Illinois. So hopefully uh, we don't have any issues with this storm and it doesn't become as significant as they are expecting. However, uh, as we know, derechos can be very damaging. What it takes to qualify as a derecho is must travel more than 400 miles and be at least 60 miles wide and produce very damaging winds. So uh, we're praying and hoping that it does not get to be this damaging. Of course, the end of Thursday and into Thursday night, we see that going through, as I stated, comes out of Iowa about down by the Peoria way, heads through Evansville, Indiana. Uh, So everybody in that path line, make sure that you are paying close attention to this storm. Absolutely, Tanner. And actually, as you are reporting this, it is starting to thunder right outside of where I am in southwest Iowa, too. So hopefully we get some rain, but hopefully it doesn't get as bad as you just said. That's correct. But jumping into my first headline of the morning, U.S. Representative Zach Nunn introduced new legislation this Tuesday aimed at protecting the agricultural industry from cyber attacks. The legislation introduced with Representative Don Davis, a North Carolina Democrat, produces proposes creating a national cybersecurity network by establishing five regional agriculture cybersecurity centers across the country. These centers will conduct research and develop security tools for the industry. Nunn, a Republican representing Iowa's third district, launched the proposal at the Iowa State University Polk County Extension Office. He held a news conference before speaking with ISU employees focused on cybersecurity and agriculture in a roundtable discussion. Nunn said if the measure becomes law, 
ISU will play a crucial role in this project as a coordinator and tool maker in efforts to protect the state and regions from agricultural sector from cybersecurity threats. Land-grant colleges and universities, many of which focus on agriculture and technical education, would be able to compete for new grants to develop ways to address the attacks businesses are seeing and hopefully immunize our systems in the future, Nunn said. The grants would be awarded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, as well as with law enforcement and intelligence agencies, and would fund a public-private partnership. Cybersecurity issues have caused issues for multiple Iowa agriculture businesses in recent years. In 2021, an Atumwa JBS meatpacking plant was shut down due to a ransom attack targeting the company. Later that year, a ransom group targeted the new cooperative incorporate a Fort Dodge-based grain cooperative. So hopefully we can see this legislation followed through in the upcoming future. But I just thought that was a great follow-up on what I reported on last week with Nunn proposing legislation for improving rural broadband access as well. That's right. Thanks for doing that. We also got word that the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture announced investment into more youth development projects to advance the understanding of climate change and national security issues. The invigorating youth interest in science, technology, engineering, and math, also known as STEM, was part of the $39 million investment into five projects across youth innovators to empower them to uh, work on agriculture and food research initiatives. Young people will lead the future of agriculture is what the director of uh, NIFA stated. These programs are lead to reimagine the outreach system that will help young people prepare for careers in ag and food sciences. The University of Maine will increase the number of students studying food and agriculture. North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University will uh, leverage the strengths of the 1890 land grant university system to reach out to high school kids. North Carolina State University will improve their STEM programs with persistence and career readiness, especially focusing on Latino youth. Ohio State University will launch an integrated project to engage youth and adults, particularly from uh, diverse and historically underserved communities to provide a direct outlet to college education. And Oregon State University will uh, take on racial injustice, provide equity and, and real opportunity frameworks for those that are underprivileged in their areas. We'll continue to see a focus on technology for data collection, evaluation, communication, marketing, and professional development, all through agriculture, thanks to this $39 million investment into youth and education. Wow, that is incredible. And I love to see headlines like that. Jumping into my next one of the morning, the Biden administration intends to update its Waters of the United States regulation, which determines the upstream reach of anti-pollution laws by September 1st, said the EPA yesterday. The revised WOTUS rule will reflect the recent Supreme Court decision that reduces federal protection of wetlands, it said. In the May 25th ruling, the court said that the 1972 Clean Water Act applies only to marshy areas with a continuous surface connection to streams, oceans, rivers, or lakes. 
The previous standard created in a 2006 ruling referred to a significant nexus between a tract and a waterway. Farm and business groups said the Supreme Court decision would guard against governmental outreach into private property. Federal district courts have blocked implementation of the Biden administration's WOTUS definition issued at the end of 2022 in 26 states. Justice Department lawyers asked a district judge in North Dakota earlier this week to suspend action in a lawsuit that seeks to overturn the administration's 2022 WOTUS rule. Good cause exists for this reason, they had said, referring to the ongoing work to revise the regulation. Federal defendants intend to issue a final rule on or before September 1st, 2023. Federal defendants' new rule may resolve or at least narrow the issues in this case. A stay will allow parties time to assess the new rule and determine whether to continue to litigate this case. Provided on the Successful Farming website, there is the EPA motion available to follow up on as well. Hey, perfect. Thanks for giving them the link or at least direction to where they can look up more. So we've got some highlights from the Ag Economist Monthly Monitor. This is a survey that is taken by more than 50 ag economists every month. The June Ag Economist Monthly uh, monitor gave us a couple of headlines. The perceived financial health of the U.S. agricultural economy is trending lower and is expected to continue to decline over the next 12 months. Production costs, global competition, geopolitical risks, drought, and demand headwinds all add up to uh, the reason the projection is lower. Majority of agricultural economists expect farm income to drift lower throughout 2024 and be closer to the five-year average. High production expenses are the biggest obstacle in 2023. The 2023 crop yield estimates, while were varying very widely from the economists as far as that goes, but unanimously they expected crop prices to drift lower towards the end of 23 and 24. This all comes uh, ahead of the news that ethanol output was nearly unchanged from week to week. The production of the biofuel remained at 1.052 million barrels per day. That is still the highest level since December 9th. The Midwest was, again, the uh, largest producing region. Ethanol stockpiles uh, rose rose to 22.979 million barrels. That's up from 22.804, so just outpacing demand quite slightly. Absolutely. And jumping into my last headline of the morning, according to the U.S. Department of Justice's office, a California man has been sentenced to more than six years in prison due to his involvement in a nearly $9 million cow manure Ponzi scheme. Ray Brewer, 66, of Porterville in Sheridan, Montana, will serve prison time for running a multi-million dollar fraud scheme where he claimed to turn cow manure into green energy. From 2014 through 2019, Brewer ran a scheme in which he claimed to be building anaerobic digesters at dairies in Fresno, Kern, Kings, and Tulare counties in California, as well as in Idaho. Brewer's investors were promised to receive 66% of all net profits, as well as tax incentives from renewable energy credits. 
Brewer even took investors on tours of dairies where he said he was going to build the digesters and set dairy owners forged lease agreements. The press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office shared that he also sent the investors altered agreements with banks that made it appear as though he had obtained millions of dollars in loans to build the digesters. He also sent fake pictures of the digesters under construction. After doing all of that, the investor's money went into several bank accounts and Brewer spent it on himself purchasing two 10-acre-plus plots of land, a 3,700-square-foot custom home, and new Dodge Ram pickup trucks authorities had shared. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a pretty elaborate scheme. Uh, it's quite interesting that you know he played on where renewable energy is coming from, especially the lengths that he took to continue to try and get investors to understand what was going on when nothing physically was changing. Absolutely. And things like this, we typically tell, um, well, I tell my grandparents, you know, not to click on the links that are sent to their phones because it's going to hack into their phones or people are trying to contact them for money and it's all just a scheme. But this is something so well thought out that I think it's pretty easy to understand how the investors fell into the trap. Well, very well thought out. But like you said, anytime someone wanted to visit the dairy and didn't see a aerobic digester, uh, clearly would lead to a little bit of suspicion. So I've got just a couple of headlines before we get into markets today. Uh, we are seeing that more than 100 people have died following the dam collapse in the Kyrgyzstan region of Ukraine earlier this uh, when we reported. Kremlin is pushing back on the New York Times report saying that insiders knew about the planned coup before what was going on, especially a couple of the higher up uh, members of Putin's war leaders, say that he did not doubt the support of his Russian citizens, continuing to put that in force and reiterate that. We also have seen uh, communication from the United States that is allowing Russia to bring a plane to retrieve its diplomats. The United States said that it will let Moscow send a plane to Washington to pick up diplomats despite the ban on commercial flights and is expecting reciprocal treatment for U.S. diplomats. The government is allowing a chartered flight to be sent to the United States for Russian diplomats whose assignments have ended, and they expect in the future reciprocity, so that way U.S. can go get uh, U.S. diplomats that are in Moscow and get their information back. We have seen some of the latest photos from the Titan that have been recovered. The implosion is expected to have taken less than a second due to what early researchers are saying about these pictures, about anywhere that you look. If you wanna find these, you can search Titan pictures and see what is being offloaded from cargo ships. But those are the last headlines that I've got for today. Let's take a look at where markets are gonna open up. So as we sit here, corn, December corn looks to be opening up two and a half cents down at 534. Even November soybeans down two and a quarter to open at 1262 and 60 cents. Uh, looks wheat contract, December con down two, even to 684.60 itself. Uh, as we look into the livestock complex for today, everything is in the green. Live cattle August contract up $1.37 to 
387. Feeder cattle also up $1.75. September's contract at 243. 72 and a half. The lean hog contracts up just slightly, 15 cents for July and five cents for August. August contract at 91.10. So who do we get to talk to today, Jennifer? Today, we are talking with Emily Trum, who is interning with the USDA out in Montana. Today, listeners, we have Emily Trum joining us, and Emily is actually located out west in the U.S. for the summer for an internship. Emily, could you share a little bit about yourself and what you're doing this summer? Yeah, absolutely. So like Jennifer said, my name is Emily Trum. I am originally from eastern Iowa. Cascade is my hometown, and I grew up on a diversified livestock and crop farm, and I'm currently studying animal science at Iowa State. I'm a junior um, and so kind of growing up on my family farm and working alongside my vet, uh, our local veterinarians, that kind of, uh, you know, drew me into the animal science program at Iowa State. So I'm kind of on the pre-vet track, hoping to go to vet school um, in the future to become a large animal vet. Um, But so I'm out in Montana. I'm in Miles City, Montana for an internship this summer. I'm working for the USDA as a reproductive physiology research intern. So I get to work alongside some amazing scientists out here. Um, I work under a scientist and then his lab, te- his lab technician. And I just kind of get to help with the day-to-day research projects that they're working on, um, but more so focus on the reproductive uh, research side of beef cattle and helping implement, um, you know, new and applicable practices for beef producers to start implementing in their own herds. And Emily, it sounds like from what I've seen, they keep you super busy out there. You are always doing something and have a pretty tight schedule during the day. So what does all of your research entail and your duties and what have you learned so far throughout this summer? Yeah, so Definitely a crazy schedule, that's for sure. And honestly, a lot of the research is a little over my head. I'm not a big research person. Um, I have had no research experience, um, but I've just always loved beef cattle. And I knew that I wanted to be involved in the ag industry, but I've learned a lot and I've gotten a lot more comfortable in the lab just with like the research or the experience that I've gotten so far. Um, But basically a day-to-day, you know, looks like for me, um, go to the office and depending on, you know, what time of the summer it is, um, we'll go out and start AIing cows or, you know, we might doing some bull, um, breeding status exams. So right now the two different research projects going on, um, one is related to the female reproductive system. And then one is like more towards the male and the bulls. Um, and so basically the bull, research that they're working on right now is trying to find a more uniform uh, way to evaluate bulls when it comes to breeding soundness exams. So when you take a bull into the vet and you want to make sure that the that the bull is, you know, good um, and fertile to turn out to the cows, um, you know, some veterinarians might look at that bull under the microscope and might evaluate a little harder than some vets. And so there's not really a 
justified scale or a cutoff when that bowl is good or it's not good. Uh, it just kind of is under the discretion of that veterinarian. And so part of the research that they're doing is looking at um, basically a scale that they can create um, to help it be a little more like firm and on the dot if that bowl is good or not. Um, so like I said, a lot of it is way over my head and there's so much more to it than just that. But a big picture, a big broad picture is that. And then on the female side, they are trying to look at, they're trying to identify like the uterine microbiome environments and then like the different uterine secretions associated with fertility and how that affects the cows and heifers ability to get bred. And so they have all kinds of different herds of cows that are on different protocols. Wow, Emily, that sounds like an intense research project, and I could not imagine being in your shoes, but I am sure that you have learned a lot on both participating in the research and from just the data that they've gathered. So what has that looked like for you? Yeah, so I'd say one of the biggest things that I have learned so far, the biggest takeaways that I can definitely take away from the summer is all the hands-on experience that I've gotten. So the scientist that I'm working under, um, his name is Dr. Tom Geary, and he used to be a reproductive professor at Colorado State University. And so he is a firm believer in getting that hands-on experience. And so we actually got to, we breed all kinds of cows, obviously. And one of the groups last week, we were breeding, I think like 250 heifers. And he just looked at me and he said, all right, it's your turn. Let's go. And I don't think I have ever been more excited in my life. Um, so I got to breed my first set of heifers all by myself. So in 32 days, we will see if are pregnant or not when we go to ultrasound them. So one of the biggest takeaways or the biggest things I've learned is um, learning how to AI on my own. And then just like the basic lab techniques and stuff that we use in the lab, you know, whether that's drawing blood and then, you know, testing it all like for plasma and white blood cells and all that stuff. So I'd say the main two things are the hands-on experiences and then uh, the basic lab techniques. Awesome. And I'm sure you're doing a lot of exploring outside of your internship too, whether that be agriculture related or not, but kind of from your living experience out there, you've probably been in Montana for about four weeks or so now, I'm guessing. What have you noticed in the difference of the agriculture industry from the Midwest to out here where you're at now? Yeah. So one of the biggest and more obvious differences is the lack of rain that they get out here in Montana. Um, actually, the the first week that I was here, they got more rain in those five days than they did the entire last summer combined. And so it is just baffling and mind-blowing to see the irrigation systems that they have to have out here. And, you know, they only get maybe two or three, you know, hay crops, you know, hay, hay crop cuttings out here. And, you know, on super bad, you know, years with, with awful droughts, they, they have to sell cows, you know, so an average herd, herd side, herd size out here might be, you know, 500 cows. Well, a drought year, they might have to sell down to, you know, 400. 
Um, so it's just, it's crazy to see the irrigation systems that they have to have. But this year is crazy because Iowa hasn't gotten any rain. I was in a drought, but it has rained every single day here in Montana. So I'm pretty sure the Iowa girl brought the rain with her to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. I, I could believe that. I know that we are missing it here on the farm in Southwest Iowa, that's for sure. But to kind of wrap things up, um, internships, living in a new place, what is something that you think you never would have thought about or learned if you wouldn't have been able to take this opportunity that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, That's a really good one. So I think this might not be something that I would have learned, um, but I'm so happy that I took this step out of my comfort zone to come out here because I have made so many connections while I've been out here. It is just mind blowing. Um, you know, the, the scientist that I'm working under used to be a professor at Colorado State, and he has published so many research, you know, publications and, you know, research papers. And it's just like, the people out here, the scientists at the USDA out here will be such great resources and contacts to have in the future, um, you know, whatever path I decide to go down. And so I'm so happy that I decided to step out of my comfort zone because I'm a huge family person. I'm a huge Iowa farm girl. I just, I just love being in Iowa. And I never would have thought that I would have came out to Montana um, and done something this awesome before. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you lining those interviews up this week and for jumping on them. It's always exciting to touch base, especially for agriculture all around the U.S. So thanks for doing that. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Listeners, but we will still be back here again tomorrow. So don't go too far. Delaney and Jennifer will hit you post report with the updates at there a little bit later in the morning. But for today, what do you say, Jennifer? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.